guys, welcome to Rank and Vile, the podcast where we attempt to rank every single horror movie ever. And this is Ryan. And this is Quincy. Hey, Quincy, how's it, how's it going? How's your week going? You know, it's pretty good. Um, I have been watching a lot of Michelle Yeoh uh, oh, movies, yeah. and she fucking rules. Yeah, she's one of those people that I like. I, I would die on a battlefield for Michelle Yeoh, and you don't even have a choice in that. Like, it's just that's just a true thing. Yeah, so I discovered... Uh, this movie on a lot of her movies are on Amazon Prime right now, mm-hmm. and I discovered this movie, and now I don't have the name of it, so I'm gonna vamp until I can pull up <laughs> IMDb. But I was watching this movie with Michelle Yeoh last night, where she's a Hong Kong police officer, and she's on vacation in Tokyo, mm-hmm. and on the flight home, uh, a prisoner is being transported on the same airbus as her mm-hmm. and the prisoner's buddy hijacks the plane and they have a gun and kung fu fight on the airplane why and am i not watching this right now here's the best part and it mm-hmm. is actually the grisliest thing i've seen in a while and we watched you know two hours of deathmatch wrestling yeah this, this is a this is a horror movie podcast where we've done several new french extremity movies motherfucker uh is fighting and shoots a hole in the the um the glass because of course that happens obviously uh and the cabin depressurizes right Mm -hmm. and then there's a fight over the window as they're flying in the air and michelio kills this man by shoving him through the window and his face just kind of like freezes holy so his face gets frozen well like it's you know it's stuck in in upper atmosphere can't breathe see this this sounds like an analog version of probably the best uh murder in the friday the 13th series which was in jason x where uh, he freezes somebody's face in liquid nitrogen and yeah. then just, like, does a face buster on a table and just shatters them? Yeah, like that, but instead, it's just uh, cold air. That is outstanding. Honestly, th- this kind of makes me think of, like, the, the fact that it goes through the glass. Have you seen, uh, I, don't know if, I, don't, I don't know if you've seen um, The Long Kiss Goodnight? I have never seen that movie. I remember explicitly watching the trailer for it. Oh, wow on um some tape that i rented a lot but never actually sitting down and watching the movie that seems like what everybody else also did which was like oh i was familiar with it at the time but nobody saw it and here's the thing it was directed by rennie harlan who obviously was the guy who did cliffhanger and die hard 2 i love that motherfucker man honestly rennie harlan first of all this insane finnish man and then on the other hand i feel like he's like the kirkland signature paul verhoeven where he's like he doesn't, he doesn't do political stuff so much, but if you do want a movie where Gina Davis and Samuel L. Jackson jump out of a window hundreds of feet above uh, some frozen ice, as opposed to uh, liquid ice, and uh, with a machine gun and just like shoot a hole in the ice while they're falling toward it and then go through the hole, Rennie Harlan's like, nah, man, I got you. And it's everything that you could possibly want out of a Rennie Harlan movie, which it also makes sense when you watch um, A Nightmare on Elm Street Part 4, which was like one of his first movies. And there are things in that, like, uh, Freddy being resurrected via dog piss, that you're like, you know what? This might as well happen. This is fine. 
fine. We'll get, deal with that. Also, in Royal Warriors, which came out in 1986, um, they fight in a club in Hong Kong called the California Club. Very good. And apparently what that means in 1986 Hong Kong is neon ch- uh, checker tic-tac-toe boards that what? are just in the middle of the bar. And... Um, Fish tanks that are mazes, where the fish actually have to swim through mazes to move around the tank. Holy shit. And of course, because it's a Michelle Yeoh movie, all of that is broken in a giant bar fight. Oh, naturally. I feel like any any set that you're setting up is just like a shoebox diorama that's about to get crushed. And here's the bananas thing. And in the end credits, they thank Club California. So that that was an on location fight. They just smashed the shit out of this one place. I, th- I feel like it's very similar to, oh, Kyle was telling me about this. I think it was Invasion America, the okay. Chuck Norris movie, where they found a mall that they were going to demolition. And um, Golem and Globus were like, well, can we shoot a movie in it before you <laughs> blow it up? And they're like, sure. And they just blew it up when they were done. <laughs> That's outstanding. It, it makes me think of in uh, Venom. Uh, how apparently Tom Hardy just saw that lobster tank and went, I'm going in that. I don't know how or why in the scene I'm going into that lobster tank. You will find me a way to get into that lobster tank throughout the course of the scene. So you know what's better than jumping into lobster tanks? I certainly don't. I can't think of a single thing, but go ahead. It's plate glass death matches. <laughs> Holy shit. So, all right. So, uh, on this podcast, we have ranked several things that almost kind of count as snuff films, I think, from Deathmatch Wrestling. Yeah. So, mainly, it's just, it's all IWA, too. That's mm-hmm. the only <laughs> company that, like, really crosses that line. Into... Yeah, they're the they're the only ones that'll, like, put hair on your chest. It's, so, IWA, like, famous for Deathmatches, this is where um, Mick Foley got a lot of his start in wrestling was just going to Japan and doing these like super, super bloody death matches with like Terry Funk and all of these guys. And so the, the one that we're doing for today is uh, what, what's the, what's the name of the actual show? So the cassette is called IWA Korokuen five big death match. And that, you know, big something that's kind of lost in translation. It's a compilation um, commercial VHS that has been <laughs> here's the problem um japanese wrestling tapes are traded so with such high frequency mm-hmm. that i don't think anyone can find originals anymore it's just copies of copies of copies so this w- i found on youtube uh by the absolute saint indie uploader who has uploaded a whole bunch of this uh ghoul shit god fucking bless yeah. So this is what I believe is two or three shows close close together and they just yeah. kind of add them because there's a there's a storyline of uh, Nakamaki and Cactus Jack and uh Super Leather and so Super Leather uh Shoji Nakamaki and Cactus Jack are in this kind of rivalry and it switches back and forth. And there's also a secondary rivalry between the headhunters where brother betrays brother. And then we see that 
it's actually this is a very complicated take. Yeah. Also, leather. Uh, we we should stress here. Um, super leather is literally just Leatherface, but as a wrestler. Which also, this being, I think, what nineteen ninety five. Ninety five. This will have been exactly like a year after they did the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, uh, the Next Generation. Oh man, I wonder if that um, made it to Japan. I I hope not. It should have. It should have been stillborn. That movie should not have come out. Um, but so Super Leather, like you get this backstage promo with Cactus Jack and Leatherface and Mick Foley is great. And he cuts a promo where he's like, I'm going to kill you. And then he's like, and also Leatherface has a new toy. And Leatherface is running around with a chainsaw that, by the way, I got to say this chainsaw prop, pretty fucking good. How does it work? It's a chainsaw that shoots sparks out of it. Yeah. It's just sparking everywhere. It's like the Blackie Lawless crotch grinder. (laughs) <laughs> glued onto a chainsaw <laughs> which i wonder do all right so uh for for those of our listeners who who uh aren't as immersed in 80s hair metal so the band wasp uh which stand which is an acronym that stands for nothing no uh, what does the, the acronym lead singer, stand for well the acronym uh, a few times blackie lawless is uh blackie lawless the the lead singer has given answers like we ain't sure pal and we are sexual perverts oh my god um <laughs> So God fucking bless. But I, I think I like we ain't sure, pal, the, the most as as the answer to that question. But he, uh, back in the day, he had a series of truly uh, ambitious cod pieces. One of which made its way onto the uh, cover of the album Animal Parentheses Fuck Like a Beast. Uh, it was a buzz saw over his wiener, and also on stage apparently he had a thing referred to as an exploding cod piece. If that phrase immediately makes your toes curl and makes you want to die, I need you to understand that at one point it malfunctioned and actually exploded and knocked Blackie Lawless like three feet off the ground and probably sterilized him. So, you know, often I've been playing a whole lot of Spelunky lately because I'm kind of, I kind of have a problem. Um, And Mm. I always curse myself when I die because I find the exit to the level but I go back to grab the extra gold, and when I fall on spikes, I I've I found myself literally saying, "Curse your avarice, curse your greed," <laughs> to, you know, to admonish myself. And I wonder Absolutely, if you know, Blackie Wallace flew too close to the sun with a dick made of TNT. He has to have, right? Like that had to have been just sort of like, listen, I was yeah, I Icarus this shit. I thought I could have a flaming cod piece that would spark and throw flames from my dick. And apparently, you know, they're there. But for, listen, that was anybody in the 80s that could have conceivably gotten sterilized by. An I mean, you piece. don't get in the tiger cage if you're not willing to fight the tiger. <laughs> exactly. Like one of these days, your card is going to get pulled. Um, your pyro will malfunction and will either light your hair on fire and then you just get more extensions and it's fine. Or you get hit in the dick by an explosion. And so anyway, so. Uh, IWA, um, it, it, yeah, it's like a sparking, it's like a sparking chainsaw, and he never actually uses it during the No, match. no, it's an entrance prop. It's like Vader's steaming helmet, or, um, like, the sledgehammer for Triple H. It's like just a, look at yeah. my cool thing that I'm gonna enter in. Yeah, yeah. Rusev's tank. In WWF No Mercy, this isn't a thing that you could actually use as a weapon, but this is like an entrance prop that you can walk yeah. out with. So, um, Leatherface probably is my favorite 
American wrestler in Japan because he oh, he wow. does the best crazy white guy terrorizing a crowd in Korokuen Hall better than anyone else. Um, Get fucked, Stan Hansen. Well, because you know Stan Hansen, you know, can woo and spit tobacco spit on you. Bruiser Absol- Brody absolutely. can right rattle chains. But right. Leatherface is actually chasing people with a <laughs> chainsaw that is ejaculating fire. <laughs> That's you know what? Actually, you've sold me. Leatherface is my favorite uh, gaijin wrestler abroad. Like this is. I mean, Lance Archer is a close second with just spitting water on everyone and <laughs> being an absolute jerk. This is like the closest that anybody gets to like Denita Sparks from L Seven throwing a used tampon into the yeah. crowd is. I'm going to chase children with a sparking chainsaw. Yeah, and and what I love is these tapes. So this this match is about a year after Nail Held Deathmatch. So Leatherface has a oh, reputation in IWA as being a monster. You know what? After that, he should be wanted for more <laughs> yeah, crimes. So like after IWA Japan Nail Held Deathmatch. Yeah, so the crowd looks like a circle pit at a Lamb of God show. It's just a roiling mass of people getting out of the way. It's incredible. Like, I, I, are there seats in this crowd? They are folding seats. So they're just, and and you can hear. I don't know Japanese, but several times on this tape, you hear the ring announcer say what I can only guess is look out which is like the the fight is in the crowd now and you should get up out of your chair it's wonderful honestly now the thing is watching mick foley in this match all i can think about are you familiar like you're familiar with the uh the tori amos thing with mick foley tell me about this i'm actually not oh shit all right so all right so around this period uh when he was uh he was traveling down the road with uh, a bunch of different wrestlers and one of them uh, so there's a, he wrote an article about this one night. Uh, they were, um, he was driving to a show with a bunch of other wrestlers and a referee and, uh, the wrestler was listening to like Guar and Slayer and whatever. And it was really loud because they're wrestlers and Mick Foley being the, the tender, uh, soul that he is was like, could we maybe listen to something less horrifyingly loud than Guar? And the guy behind the wheel was like, here, Mick, I, I got something I think you might like. And he puts on the song Winter by Tori Amos, which is uh, a song that will also, it, it, it makes me cry immediately when I when I hear those opening piano lines because it's very, very tender and soft and has a piano and it's the chorus is just Tori Amos asking, when are you going to make up your mind? When are you going to love you as much as I do? And so Mick Foley just like became enraptured with the song and apparently when he would do death matches in Japan around this period, to like psych himself up to do what needed to be done and do these matches, he would rock back and forth uh, backstage with uh, Winter by Tori Amos on headphones, getting himself ready for the match and just like sort of singing the song to himself. Um, and so apparently years and years later, uh, he got to meet Tori Amos at a, at a convention and apparently Tori Amos's kid is like a huge wrestling fan, so she knew about Mick Foley. And the way that Mick tells it, like, when he walked up to Tori Amos, uh, she immediately threw her arms open for a hug. And he was so surprised, but he hugged her. And then, like, the way that he he put it in the the article was, uh, I felt like a little child in her arms. She was an angel, and I was a child. (laughs) And 
also if you and so if you hear the story and then you picture what Mick Foley looks like during this period where he looks like if dog food could be people he's got like three teeth and he's as big as a refrigerator and he looks terrifying and actually he's just a big softy who cries to Tori Amos so that's so when I see uh, Cactus Jack during this period in Japan all I can think is like I wonder if he listened to Winter by Tori Amos before this show probably because he is getting destroyed he's getting this, is a, this is a no rope barbed wire barbed wire board deathmatch and the barbed wire on the outside of the ring i think uh now watching deathmatch wrestling there are certain things that you don't uh, if you haven't watched a lot of death deathmatch wrestling you kind of have no frame of reference for what might actually be real or what you should take seriously as an actual thing this is honest to christ barbed wire Yes, it is, because you can watch it, even on this grainy VHS transfer, uh, pull at mixed skin. Yeah, like, they'll, they'll do, like, a slingshot suplex on somebody, where, like, they'll just, like, wump them down belly first onto the ropes, and you just, it's barbed wire. And so, it, honestly, watching this match made me think of, did you ever see that clip of Dean Ambrose, or I guess now John Moxley, talking about one of the death matches he did back in the day, which was, like, they used a weed whacker during the match? Oh, the famous, like, saw it to the head, the electric knife to the head kind of thing. Yeah, and he was like, uh, like grow uh, up, of course, it's not real. Yeah, and he's like, uh, grow up, like, like, do you, you really think I would do that? It's like, I don't know. What, I, why, why would, like, using a nail gun to nail a dollar to your opponent's head be a totally fucking normal thing, but, like, using an electric knife or a weed whacker would just be completely out there? <laughs> like, how, so, how, how should I know, John? Jesus. So, the match goes on, it's pretty good it's not like technical it's just brutal yeah. and the end is after uh nakamaki and his tag team partner you know struggle and win and as much as leatherface is trying to murder his his opponent again uh at the end of it leatherface and nakamaki hug each other yeah, they hug it out. It's actually really sweet. Like they just it's 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 wholesome as hell, especially after like twenty minutes of watching people throw each other down onto barbed wire. And what's wild is that actually starts the rivalry for the rest of the tape. Yeah. So as per usual, uh Cactus Jack is like, I can't believe my tag team partner has betrayed me. Right. So the next Cactus Jack match in the next on the tape is Cactus Jack teaming up with Crypt the Keeper, which is the <laughs> Japanese Crypt Keeper yeah. wrestler, which is another American. Um, unfortunately, Jason the Terrible isn't on this card. Nor but he'll is, show up in later tapes. Nor is Dream Freddy, or what's the? Is it Sharp? Freddy Krueger? But it's spelled C R U E G A R. I was gonna say, Sharp... and he has actual knives taped to his finger. I was gonna say Sharpen Joe. Like I don't which which yeah. brand X name do you? Yeah. So, is is am I to believe that McFoley is like you were out here snuggling the enemy right in front of yeah, God and yeah. everyone? I can't How... believe you did that. So then, Leatherface and Nakamaki team up to beat um, Cactus Jack and. Um, Crypt the Keeper. Then after that match, the final match from this series is a scramble bunkhouse death match, which I feel is important to explain mm -hmm. because it's one of the weirdest kinds of wrestling matches I've ever seen. I've never seen anything uh, like it. Please, please give your so, best approximation. 
So the rules of the scramble bunkhouse deathmatch are you one wrestler starts at one end of the arena, like the entrance, and the other starts on the other. And they count down from like 10. Okay. And then the wrestlers run as fast as they can to get in the middle of the ring and grab the weapons first. And then the match starts. I, so how did the idea for this, like, how do you, how do you think they came about to that? Or was it just like, I don't f- bunkhouse deathmatch? That's just, I, I think that's what it's called. Or like a scramble, two man scramble, scramble, you know, they're, they all have different names. Quincy, I love wrestling. It's so it's good. It's so fucking stupid, but I love it <laughs> so much. It's so good. Like, I, I, you know what it is? I realized while watching this. I, there, there are a lot of reasons that I prefer pro wrestling to MMA. The big one is that shit like this could never happen in MMA. Like, you could never do super leather, the, the, the chainsaw-wielding leather-faced wrestler in MMA. Like, there's, there, there are so many things that are ridiculous about wrestling that just fundamentally are not a part of MMA, and that's why it's better. Yeah. Uh, so, in addition to this having a bunch of Leatherface and Crypt the Keeper, it also has Terry Funk and the Headhunters, which are the biggest boys I have ever seen. Yeah, they are big, girthy lads. They are these big, girthy lads, and by the name, you can tell they are supposed to be just like crazy savages from the wild who just murder people with their their belly weight which i gotta tell you having a wrestler like that but not in wwf i feel way less weird about it because it's, yeah, it's in a it's... japanese promotion and it's not obviously vince mcmahon's idea of like doing a gross gimmick yeah and and we have to remember this is after abdullah the butcher so really it's just like what if we multiplied abdullah the butcher by two now all right so here's here's the question uh, what do you think the response to the criticism that deathmatch wrestling is garbage wrestling like? What so obviously like Abdullah the Butcher is not doing uh, top rope Frankenstein'ers. What, so what what do you think it is about deathmatch you, wrestling that does it for you? So what it is is the pathos, mm-hmm. um, and this is this is a really weird ghoulish kind of thing. Sure. But watching a person's body literally being ripped apart adds to the emotional impact and the emotional weight of, you know, the triumphs and failures of wrestling. Mm-hmm. So, like, it adds stakes on top of the already, you know, fictional stakes. Yeah. And also there's this weird blur. It's very much like MMA where the best of these death matches are where, you know, leather, these two men try to kill each other and then they hug it out because of mutual respect or yeah. like the end of this tape, the headhunters lose a match against Terry Funk and they get angry and start trying to kill each other because they're crazy. <laughs> and then yeah. the final match is the promoter says, okay, the new boys are going to be in a plate glass death match, which the only way you can win is to break the plate glass with the other person. And then after they do all that, they hug it out and they both take the slimy promoter and throw him in the thumbtacks and plate glass. Yeah. And like, you know, say the headhunters will never break up. You know, yeah. Yeah. Blood is thicker than water. 
Fuck yeah. Well, and honestly, like, I for me, I think that's so that's that's a huge part of why I love deathmatch wrestling is like, there's now, I know so many people that sort of look down on deathmatch wrestling, but also, if somebody gets busted open during a normal match, they think that it's really cool and transgressive and sort of adds to the drama of the match. And I wonder, do you think it's a matter of like desensitization that we've just seen? Because like this is a horror podcast where we've done almost four hundred horror movies. I I wonder, is it just that our bra- like the 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 pain and pleasure centers of, of our brains are burnt out? It's like the 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 stomped on gum in like a a, a public sidewalk, and watching somebody get basically Julienned in the ring by plate glass. Is that a thing that we can watch now and sort of go, well, I mean, it's wrestling like any other kind of wrestling. Well, the wild thing is this 90s wrestling is very tame compared to what Big Japan and Freedoms are doing now. Yeah, yeah. Abs- I, honestly, like, when you watch this, it I wonder what it must have been like to have watched an IWA deathmatch back in the day for the first time and not having had like the intervening two decades of deathmatch wrestling to normalize so much of this stuff. Yeah. And like, this is pretty tame stuff. It's also the technical skills of deathmatch wrestlers have gotten a lot better mm-hmm. because like June Kasai is my favorite and he actually knows how to wrestle. Yeah. But is also willing to put his life on the line and, and fight and, you know, has, his pectoral muscle like dangling from his body because he's been cut so bad. Jesus. Yeah. I I think it's that like, there's yeah so much investment from the wrestlers in the match that like you kind of, I mean, I don't know. I feel like if if it's just a regular, regular wrestling match, it's probably, you can kind of Orton that shit and phone it in. I don't know that there's a way to totally phone in unless you're like the Marquis de Sade and you've been through the wildest torture known to man. I don't know that you can just like take a staple gun to the head and phone it in and be like, uh, deathmatch wrestling. Like, well, I hate to tell you there's this promotion called XPW. Oh yeah. And, uh, it's, it's bad, Ryan. Have you ever watched (laughs) XPW? No, certainly not. XPW was the promotion before um, Wrestling Society X, the very short-lived MTV2 wrestling show that... Oh, yeah, uh, Seth Rollins was on that. Seth Rollins was on that. Joey Ryan was on that. Also... Jimmy um, Jacobs. Yeah, and um, Mil Muertes debuted on that show. XPW is just like ECW, but worse. Because it's like, okay, we're going to have a mixed... uh, intergender match but the angle is that the heels are going to try to rape this woman during the match jesus christ there they had a um, toxic waste match where they literally had kitty pools with what the commentator calls pee pee and poo poo in them <laughs> quick question why have we moved so far away from the light of god <laughs> This is, these are kids that probably grew up watching like, oh man, Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels. And now you do this. This is, yeah. this is what you're doing with your life. I, but yeah. this has a happy ending. XPW went out of business because it was also probably uh, related to organized crime. You know what? I, yeah, it's pro wrestling and organized crime have always kind of hung out. So there's a certain level of carny bullshit that I'm, I'm kind of good with. 
So, friend of the show, Clon uh, Waldrip, has this really great zine called Power Profiles, mm-hmm. where he does these little autobiographical sketches. He does like a, a portrait and then like a, a page uh, biography of. Um, he does these biographical sketches of um, these people, and he's got some, some wrestling specific ones, and he talks about how like the promoter for XPW like cut a man's thumbs off and you know uh was a porn producer and then became a wrestling producer and then you know started getting deeper so if you uh if you have a chance look up power profiles everyone by clon waldrick is a real very great so the, the question i have all right so the the one of the matches in here uh, I think you said your favorite one was Silver King and Tejano versus Takashi Okano and uh, Yoshihiro Tajiri. Yeah, because it's just a regular wrestling thing. Yeah, no, that's exactly, like, this is the thing about ECW is, like, sure, there was, like, the wild the hardcore wrestling, but also they would just bring in, like, luchadors and Japanese wrestlers and, and shit and just be like, so, okay, uh, work a five-star classic. And, and I feel like, so, honestly, my problem is my whole frame of reference for Silver King is that, uh, have you seen that clip of Chris Jericho back in the day, uh, circa WCW, when he was the Cruiserweight champion, and there was a big battle royal for um, the, to, to face Chris Jericho for the Cruiserweight Championship, and he's, like, introing everybody as they're coming out, and then he's like, Silver King, if he wins 15 more matches, he gets, he gets upgraded to Golden King. <laughs> and that was my entire frame of reference for Silver King. Now, Tejano, who... So then to see Silver King be a good wrestler? Yeah, I was really, I was really impressed. Uh, Tejano, this is not the same guy from Lucha Underground, right? No, this is uh, Tejano probably one. That's yeah. probably Tejano two or three. Yeah, this is like Tejano Sr. And so Takashi Okano and Yoshihiro Tajiri, um, how would you describe this match? It's flippity-dippity. Yep. It's just a bunch of guys <laughs> jumping around, beating each other's asses. Extremely flippity-dippity. And I feel like, ideally, that's what you want. I mean, for me, that's what you want in a wrestling show is like sort of a variety hour where it's like you have the comedy match, you have the flippity-dippity wrestling, you have a guy uh, cramming his opponent's face onto a cheese grater and committing war crimes. And ideally, you have all of these things on the same show. Yeah, so which do you prefer, ghoul slashing or flippity-doos? I gotta tell you, I think it's just be- I, I I think this might be because my brain and my nervous system have, have gotten burnt out. I think I prefer the ghoul slashing because I have seen so much awesome flippity-dippity wrestling. It's not every match that you get to watch somebody literally just get fucked on their stomach on some barbed wire. Um... Cactus Jack in one of these matches lands. They do the the classic, the wrestler falls and it's he he hits his penis on the ropes. Except the ropes are barbed wire and they bounce him up and down on it. Man, that's I mean, there's always the classic like Shawn Michaels spot of like, oh no, my penis. Where like he's like landed on the ropes, uh, split legged, and then the opponent like sort of wrenches the ropes up and down. That's not fucking barbed wire. Like yeah, it's not barbed wire. Jesus, my Jesus, Mary and Joseph. Yeah, I, I think I prefer the goal slashing because it's something different and it's something that's not. I feel like you can find awesome flippity dippity wrestling at any local VFW hall on a Friday night, probably if you look hard yeah, enough. Yeah, if you look hard enough, you can find it. Yeah, 
And it's not everybody that's willing to sort of, yeah, you know, I'll get parts of my body chopped off. It makes me think of, um, I remember years ago, I was listening to this podcast with uh, John Moxley, who at the time was Dean Ambrose, and he was talking about the way that he would work deathmatch wrestling, which is like, it's like a hyper-concentrated capitalist hell dimension deathmatch wrestling, where he's like, you know, he would talk to these promoters and be like, he would have tears, like he was, you know, shilling for a podcast, where he was like, okay, for this much money, I will do thumbtacks. For this much money, I will do thumbtacks and plate glass. But for all, for this much money, I will do all of that, and I will get set on fire. And like, he would just use his body as a bargaining chip. And I kind of can't think of a better illustration of capitalism. Yeah, than literally men and women putting their bodies on the line as um, the means of production. It's horrifying. But also, here's the thing. It's horrifying, but we are watching the shit out of this, so... Oh, yeah. I love this. Now, I want to clarify. The reason why I believe this belongs on the list is because it has Hollywood monsters as wrestlers. It's not the deathmatch wrestling in and of itself that is horror. Agree. Like, we're not just, you know, I I feel like um, now for... the Patreon that we're going to be starting, I think we are going to do a side podcast where we where we, we talk entirely about wrestling. Because, listen, on this podcast, we, we're big fans of wrestling, but also it's a horror movie podcast. But honestly, yeah, this, this belongs on the horror uh, movie list because of the amount of actual horror properties in it. Why was Japan so into these... Because they're all American wrestlers who just put on the cheapest... That Crypt Keeper mask is, like, the cheapest <laughs> trash. Yeah, it's like the it's like the Crypt Keeper mask that you pick up at CVS for your kid the night of Halloween because you forgot to get him his Halloween costume. Like, yeah, so why were these such popular wrestlers in the 90s? What, what makes sense to me is that, like... Now, okay, so the way that Japan has sort of culturally absorbed a lot of American influences, what's incredible about it is that, like, you get a lot of Japanese bands where it's like they they consume American stuff, but in different contexts. So you'll get a band that, like, is, you know, back in the 80s or 90s was dressed like winger, but would do this really, like, Pantera-style, like, rough metal. And it's incredible because, like, these don't necessarily go together, but when you're just sort of, you know, being bombarded by American media, it makes sense to me that you're like, okay, cool, so I'm watching pro wrestling, and there's a guy who's dressed like the Crypt Keeper. Cool. Like, this, this, you know, this is fine. This might as well happen. So where does the Korokuen five big death matches... Uh, tape go on our master list. Well, let's compare it to uh, its 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 nearest equivalent, which is IWA Japan Nail Held Deathmatch 1994 at number 286. So, no one looks like they're actually getting murdered because the tape does not end with people carrying Shoji Nakamaki off in, in a stretcher. <laughs> yeah, no, none of these look like, well, anyway, Christmas is canceled, children. Uh, Shoji Nakamaki has been murdered in real life. Like, they, listen, if they're, if they're snuggling after the match and showing that good mutual respect, you assume everything worked out okay. Yeah. So which do you prefer? Christmas is canceled or, oh, they're buddies now? <laughs> I'll tell you for nothing. I prefer, oh, they're buddies. Like, F, you know what? After that much deathmatch wrestling, 
There better be a fucking snuggle in the mix. I I, I think we deserve. And also, this. it sets up the next rivalry, which is uh, Tarzan Goto and his crew just beating the hell out of Nakamaki. Oh yeah. Now, all right. So the question I have. All right. So I think it's above that. However, let's. My, my question for you, which is, which do you prefer? Um, the IW IWA Corican uh, death uh, big death match or Bram Stoker's Dracula directed by Francis Ford Coppola, which both both of which are just uh, indicative of excess of, of the excess of the period. I'll tell you what I am going to watch more often. I have watched uh, the five big death match tape far more often than I've watched Bram Stoker's Dracula. Ah, uh, see, for me, I've watched Bram Stoker's Dracula so many times that I've basically memorized that Rococo dumpster fire of a movie. Um, I feel like I would want to put this above Bram Stoker's Dracula because it's, for me, the Roger Ebert thing of, like, what is it trying to do and how well does it do it? Um, I think IWA Corican Big Deathmatch 5 does exactly the thing you want from it. Now, here's the problem. Mm -hmm. That puts it over Satan Returns, which is the uh, Hong Kong uh, serial killer movie where the cop is the daughter of Satan. Is literally Satan's daughter. Yes, yeah. that's, that's a good point. I actually so, between those, what I would you feel prefer? like that should be the ceiling? It should not go past number two eighty three. That makes sense. All right, so right below Satan Returns, which we cannot stress enough here, features the actual daughter of actual Satan. Um, right below that is Batman Dead End, which is basically the thing that's like, what if Batman fought Alien and Predator? Yeah, I want to watch death matches all day over watching that again. Absolutely agreed. So yeah, so I feel pretty good about uh, putting. Uh, IWA uh, Corey can big uh, deathmatch five at number 284 uh, above Batman Dead End, but right below Satan Returns. All right. So uh, I've got to tell you about this really cool movie I just watched called The Cleaning Lady. Okay, tell me about it. So The Cleaning Lady is on DVD and on demand from RLJE Films, and it stars Alexis Kendra and Rachel Alec. And it is single white female, I want to be you, but more fucked up. So it is a movie where, and by the way, this is directed by John Knotts, Mm -hmm. who also directed The Shrine, if you recall that movie, that uh, straight to VOD, don't look at the statue, and if you do, we gotta carve your eyes out movie. (laughs) Nice. Uh, So... It is a film that immediately begins with mice in a mouse trap being tossed into a blender and ground up into mouse smoothie. Jesus Christ on a bike. That's all right. So that's how we start the movie. That is the first scene of the movie. Rodent smoothies. Rodent smoothies. Then we find Alice, who is a um, sex addict, and she's going to. Uh, SA meetings and she's got a sponsor oh, good and for her. she's she's trying to uh, break off her relationship with the man that she's having an affair with because he's married and he has a kid and she's like I need for my for the sake of my sobriety to end this relationship with you uh, so I'm gonna just you know spend some time by myself Fuck yeah! so she lives in this apartment and she is a um, 
beautician, so she does like face masks and like I, I think I guess it's esthetician. I don't really know mm-hmm. the difference in those, but she does like face masks and massages out of her apartment, and her sink is clogged. So she calls her um, building manager, and he sends over uh, this girl named Shelly, who has these horrifying burns all over her face. She's like, has this disfigured face. And the rest of the movie is Alice with her white guilt well intentions just being really nice to Shelly and saying like oh I'm not staring at your scars at all and in fact you'd be really pretty if you did your makeup let me teach you how to do that oh you don't have money for makeup that's okay I'll let you borrow it this takes place in Los Angeles of course and uh, you know she says oh well how where do you live and she says you know out in the, the sticks and she's like, oh, well, um, how much does that take you to drive? And she's like, I ride the bus. I don't have a car. And then she's like, oh, well, I'll drop you off. And why don't you start spending the night at my house? And and I will let you be my cleaning lady for $100 a week, even though the landlord doesn't want that, because, you know, I'm doing you a, a favor, so to speak. Good Lord. Okay. So throughout this movie... Um, we know that uh, Shelley is the one who is grinding the mice in the blender at the beginning. And it's got that, like, oh, she's a physically grotesque person. You know, the body has become uh, sacrosanct, so clearly she's up to no good. And she's going to do something awful. And it pans out correct. She starts... Um, drugging Allie in her sleep so she can make a face cast so she makes a rubber mask of Allie's beautiful perfect skin to wear over her melted horrible skin and then the movie gets really fucked up (laughs) and that's when it goes (laughs) pear-shaped because we flash back to Shelly as a child and she's got this like perfect um you know this perfect childhood with this loving mother and she's baking and making cupcakes and putting on makeup and telling her daughter how beautiful she is and dressing her up for you know putting her in these nice clothes and the daughter says i don't want to get dressed up and do this and you think like oh go to a beauty pageant right and the mom says well honey sometimes we all have to do things we don't want to do and the mother is prostituting her 10-year-old child. Jesus, Mary, and Joseph. And we see Johns come to the house and pay the mom. Now, here's what makes this movie actually work. As grotesque and horrifying it is, they don't show the stuff. It's more hinted at than actually, like, a movie directed by a lesser director you would see the actual mice being ground up yeah but it's you see the lid closing and then a close-up of the button and the sound and then you see you know the goop being poured out you know what it is i feel like there's a there's an animal cruelty scale in movies that goes from cannibal holocaust to john wick yeah and you know what? If you if you're if you're literally making rodent smoothies, you don't need to show that. Like the fact that you are making rat smoothies is enough in itself. Yeah, and like even though it has this, you know, really gross uh rape scenes in it, 
it is not shown. You just it's enough that you you know what's happening and that's it. See, I feel like and and for me so much of uh, I I feel like it's a disingenuous thing with movies when somebody's sort of like, "Oh, are you saying that, you know, you can't have movies that deal with rape?" and it's like Look, the movie Revenge is very much about it and doesn't show it. And the yeah. way that it shows it, like, it's very clear what's happening, but it's all about how it's shot and how it's framed. And yeah, I, I, I feel like I, I what, what, so would I enjoy this movie? Um, I think so, because it's saying something about, like, female friendship, because um, despite... Uh, Shelley's horrible past that she's hiding from Alice and the fact that she's doing these weird things. She is, Shelley is also trying to help Alice because her, um, her boyfriend that she's having the affair with won't leave her alone. Mm -hmm. And she's saying like, please don't contact me anymore. And he's stalking her and like banging on the door. Right. And Shelley is the one who's like, Hey, you got to get this to stop. You have to um, take care of this. And then of course, because Shelley is portrayed as this unstable character, she um, ties up the ex-boyfriend and tries to make Alice murder him. Outstanding. So Dushing? Like literally hog ties both of them, but ties a knife in Alice's hand and says the only way you can do this is if you take care of this problem. <laughs> Holy shit. So she does kill him? Well, th this is where I don't want to get into like spoilers. Oh, spoiler territory. Yeah. New movie. Um, but it's the kind of thing where as fucked up as it gets it's all presented as i'm helping you you thought you were helping me all the time but i've actually come to help you and make your life better mm -hmm. and that sort of kidnapping of yes i'm making your life better no you're not yes i am <laughs> excellent so all right so how uh so on the list where where do you think i uh, actually a, a better question did you like this movie i did it's not the best thing I've ever seen. Sure. I mean, it does... I mean, worst case scenario, you just watched a movie with a rat smoothie, which, side note here, are you... Oh, I forgot to tell you, she's making rat smoothies because she, um, she took revenge on her mom, is keeping her in a storage unit, and the only thing she's allowed to eat is rat smoothies. Is, is rat slurry. This kind of makes me think of... Um, are you familiar with uh, The Vampire of Sacramento? Yeah, I've heard about that. <laughs> yeah, and, and, you know, he uh, would blend uh, sort of uh, rats and stuff with apparently Coca-Cola and then slug that down. So immediately when I heard blended rat, I hate that I immediately had a frame of reference for someone else who had also done that in real life. So that's that's rough. Um, so it's good, but it's not a movie that I'm... I, I recommend watching it and compared to other brand new independent films it's it's very good compared okay. to a lot of the other ones i've seen okay um but it's not you know i don't know if it's gonna last a long time and make a really indelible mark so to speak it but i don't think it has to i think it just can just be a good thriller that was fun to watch and now we can move on yeah that makes sense where it's sort of uh, enjoyable enough and then you sort of you know, go make a sandwich or something afterward where it's like, all right, well, I guess that certainly was a fucking motion picture. So 
here's where I'm struggling to find where to put it on the list. Okay. I'd say I'd watch it again over Hellraiser Bloodline. Okay. I mean, anything is better than Hellraiser Bloodline. <laughs> I mean, technically, according to our list, a lot is better <laughs> than... Jesus Christ. It's upsetting. So... Actually, right under Hellraiser Bloodline is Bloodlands, and this reminds me a whole lot of that movie in terms of just, like, a really well-made film, but something that I'm able to just kind of move past. So, I'd say somewhere in this area, um, Happy Death Day is number 177. Okay. Uh, So I'm tempted to put it, like, around there. But the other problem is right under that is uh, Toxic Avenger and um, a bunch of other kind of classics of the the genre. Yeah, I um, yeah. Terror in the Skies also came out this year, and I would say that it is it is better made than Terror in the Skies. So it's definitely above number two thirty. Okay, here's I'll I'll I'll, I'll put it to you this way. Uh, which is better, the movie with the rat smoothies or a movie in which a character says two lines, sub, uh, one after the other, your tits are so juicy, dude, comma, you've got perfect nipple placement, baby. <laughs> and Why can I not remember what movie that is? Friday the 13th uh, remake from 2009 at number 227. Oh, God damn it. You know what? It's that... better than that. Okay. Okay, so here's what I think. It mm-hmm. is better... It is not as good as My Friend Dahmer at 196, mm-hmm. but it is absolutely better than Walking Out. Okay, yeah, Walking Out, which is the Bill Pullman movie where they're in the snow and it is not very exciting. And that bear chomps the shit out of that kid. Which is pretty tasty, the the, the bear attack scene. I feel pretty good about that, so coming in... Yeah, so new... The Cleaning Lady will be number 197. Yeah, I've, yeah, that's it's good stuff. Uh, do we have time for a listener? Yeah, I think we do. Yeah, so I uh, watched a film... Uh, mm-hmm. that at Antonio Banderas on Tumblr requested called Father's Day from 2011. <sighs> Have you seen this movie? Yeah, I've seen Father's Day. This was, um, I, uh, so it's, it's a trauma movie. I had this on uh, DVD, not even Blu-ray, uh, which I had picked up uh, at the time at McKay's in Nashville. Um. It's it's bad. Now it's, it's a trauma movie. Very very bad. It's very very bad. But also it, it it's to me really indicative of like latter day trauma versus old school trauma. Which and don't get me wrong, this isn't me trying to look cool and be like, yeah, you know, modern day trauma lacks the authenticity of surf Nazis must die. But that being said, it it does though. Well, like, the central jokes are that the killer is named the Fookman because he fucks men, and it's literally a killer that's only raping dads. Dads. That's, it's, yeah, it's the dad rape movie. Um, it, it's rough, man. <laughs> like, I it, I... it also trades very heavily on incest humor. Like, lol, he has a hot sister and he wants to have sex with her. Yeah, it's... Now, the the, the, the problem with a movie like this is, like, even if you... And I say this as somebody who very nearly went to go intern for Troma when I was 18 before doing any research and realizing what a terrible idea that is. Who is this movie for? And is it the worst people in the world? That's what I was asking, too. I don't know who is 
watching these. I mean, I'm watching them. Sure. But I don't want to be watching them. <laughs> the asshole is us. We're watching Father's Day 2011. Um, yeah, it's the entire thing is a gross rape joke. It's it's just it's rough. Uh, the I... only thing that's good is Lloyd Kaufman is the devil, and also at the end of the movie to fight the devil, they commit suicide, and then they realize that suicide is permanent. <laughs> yeah, that it's it... and they're like maybe if we commit suicide after we've commit committed suicide, we'll come back to life, and it doesn't work. Yeah. And the end credits is just silence and they're rotting corpses. <sighs> Quincy, I'm so tired. <laughs> like, I don't... Uh, so scroll to the bottom. Oh, yeah. Oh, this is this is way at the bottom. So, uh, all right. Okay. Let's, let's start with... Um, Jesus, I can't even believe I'm going to do this. So for tasteless uh, bad movies, which do you think is worse? Night of Something Strange, which is our bottom most movie at number 399 also quincy this is a milestone that we're about to rank this is about to be our 400th movie father's day is our 400th movie god damn. you know what we <laughs> what deserve are we this doing with our lives because we've we've worked for that we have richly deserved every ounce of suffering we have gleaned from doing this podcast uh i okay so if we're going with the movie that is uh one very long rape joke and another movie that is one very long rape joke i feel like i have to put this slightly i can't even believe i'm going to say this slightly above night of something strange here's why okay so i think you're correct and here's why Mm -hmm. night of something strange has fundamentally incorrect information about how diseases spread oh yeah which could actually tell people that they could get an sti from a toilet that's actually so for a public health concern night of something strange is more dangerous than the hour and a half long rape joke movie that's a really good point like at least the uh at least father's day 2011 doesn't uh, cause any societal harm in the way that spreading misinformation about the spread of STIs will. But it ain't much better. <laughs> Not by much. Uh, the one right above that at 398 is Ghosts That Still Walk from 1977. Yeah, that's just because that's a whole heap of nothing. It's, it's like yeah. air. Yeah, it's it's like eating uh, an annual meal of one rice cake is watching Ghosts That Still Walk. I feel like between those two... I'm going to put Ghosts That Still Walk slightly above Father's Day 2011. Oh, I think that's totally fair, because it hasn't done anything bad. It's just boring. One of them is a rice cake, and the other one's a rat smoothie, and I'm I'm not slugging down a rat smoothie. I will eat my shitty nothing rice cake. Oh, man. So, coming in at number 399. <laughs> Our 400th movie, uh, Father's Day from 2011. Um, holy shit. This, so guys, we've now been doing this podcast for, I think, what, a little over two, like about two years almost? Has it only been two years? Actually, I think it's been about, uh, since what, uh, early, oh, since late 2016, I think we've been doing this. My God. Whatever it's been, it's been too long. It's, listen, we've been, we've been in the shit, we've been in the trenches, uh, but also, you know, occasionally we'll get to watch stuff like uh, Hello, Mary Lou, Prom Night 2, and that's not for nothing. Um, yeah, and, and the stuff, or... <laughs> the stuff, which, I, it, honestly, I, I've, I've come to judge the goodness of a podcast 
by its longevity as a running joke in my household. Um, which is from the stuff, there's one bit where he's like, there's something alive inside the human body. It's called benign bacteria, and then flashes a stupid grin. We do that constantly, and that is worth so much to me. If it gives me like one bit that will be a mainstay in my household, it's, it's good. Uh, Quincy, where can our listeners find us on the internet? Oh, we are in tons of places. We're on Twitter and Gmail at RankinVileCast. We are on Tumblr and Instagram and TikTok at RankinVile. We're on YouTube at RankinVileCast. Uh, we are on Letterboxd. We are on just about every podcast app that you want us to be on. And if we are not, uh, drop us a line at the aforementioned RankinVileCast at gmail.com and we'll try to see what it takes to get on um, the service of your choice. Yeah, and also keep a lookout. Um, we're going to be starting a Patreon really soon, which it's about fucking time, I feel like, doing the... 400 doing... movies, I think it's safe. <laughs> Listen, I think we've, we've put in our nickel. We, you know, I think, you know, starting a Patreon for content, like, uh, we're going to do uh, Deathmatch Wrestling and the movie The Legend of Billie Jean. We're going to do video games from... You know, I feel like mostly we just need to cut a promo on how bad the Friday the 13th video game for NES is. Oh, it's it's enraging. It is it is dog but better, not as good as especially because the um the Nightmare on Elm Street game is so good. You're collecting bones, and you you're get collecting to... bones, and you get to cross dress as Terran. Yeah, you get to be a tra- Yeah, you get to be either a transvestite ninja or a kid who's really good at throwing rocks. And this is this is what you get to do. Um, so yeah, so we're gonna be setting that up. Uh, keep an eye out for that. If you have. Uh, a request for a movie that you desperately want us to do. Uh, you're going to want to send uh, uh, send us that request at rankandvilecast at gmail.com or put it in our ask box on Tumblr at just rank and vile. Uh, we are on Letterboxd. Keep your eyes out for uh, new lists uh, in the next uh, couple of weeks. Um, we are on Stitcher. We're on fucking Last FM. We are all over the place. Um, Quincy, is there uh, anything else you can think of? Yeah, if you can give us a review or a thumbs up or just talk about us word of mouth to your friend, um, that really helps spread our um, show and helps uh, people hear us. So um, I'm not going to say give us a five-star review because that just seems disingenuous. Give us whatever review you (laughs) feel. An honest review for an honest day shit post. (laughs) Um, That's, yeah, but uh, barring that, that is about all I got. You got anything else? Stay spooky, y'all. Later, folks.